Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Everyone, uh, welcome back to another episode of. Well, I don't know what we're calling these, but we've, we're bringing an interview format back into to remap and the regular rotation. And uh, now that we've sort of made this official, you know, I, I feel like there's no better way to keep this going here, remap, than to just bring in essentially someone who has become a co-host of of remap, has straddled waypoint. I lose my job. I start a company one of the first people at the new company, and then we're nearing the end of the year. So, uh, you know, what better way to uh, r- round out the end of 2023 than to bring in the game director on one of my favorite games of, of 2023, uh, John Johannes. Thank you. Uh, thank you for coming back. <laughs> yes, I am. What I'm secretly like Atlas-esque holding up your podcast, right? It, it, uh, it is. You know, like whenever yeah. <laughs> we're like worried about what's going to happen next week, like, oh yeah, because obviously the problem right now is there are just no video games to play. And so I just need to call up John and it's like, what are we going to talk? I, I got to find something to talk about. Um, no, I'm over. Yeah. Do you need me to make you something? I can, <laughs> I can get the team together. I don't know. We could, we could something up there, you know, uh, is it, I'm wondering what the come down process is like for you. Like this is what, you know, uh, 11 ish months removed from the release of Hi-Fi Rush, the the surprise release of Hi-Fi Rush for a lot, not to you, but obviously to, to a lot of other people, <laughs> the way it, it came out. Um, how do you feel about after a project's out? And you like, you know, without getting into what you're up to, what you're doing next, but like, just, do you still think about it? Do you play it? Like, what is your process of sort of like moving from something onto whatever's next? Um. You know, it is very interesting. Uh, I since I've worked on multiple projects, the ones that I've been most closely, you know, if like leading, um, it's something definitely resembling almost like a postpartum depression type thing mm-hmm. because you get really, really into working on a game when you're at the end of like nearing the finish line. You're polishing it up. You're you're like micromanaging every aspect and you're look, looking over every detail. And then it's finally out and it's kind of like you don't, your hands are off of it in a way. Now, granted, we got to at least, we developed more content for it, which is really awesome and and things like that. But in a way, like it's no longer yours anymore and you kind of have to like let it go. But, um, but, you know, that's not really the case because it's a game that surprisingly I even will still I'll boot up on the PC at work or like on a dev kit at work to just, <laughs> just goof around and, and play them because it's, it's, a, it's such a fun game to play. But you, you almost kind of like miss that, um, the, 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 the final parts of the dev period, because, you know, everything is coalescing, it's coming together. You can see the final vision and it's so it's, it's just like putting fine tuning those details. And so you're excited about like what it, what it will be. Um, but the opposite thing is like, you get to see over the course of these many months, you know, it obviously comes in waves and this year has been hilariously intense in terms of how much content there is and like 
will people even remember that we exist? And we joked about this last time. Remember, we should, I think this podcast is specifically to remember it, it, well, that this, came out this year. Yes, <laughs> yes. And I laughed when I got the email from uh, PR and they're like, hey, like, we didn't forget. Like, you said you would want to do it at the end of the year. And I was like, absolutely. I'm completing this loop. It's like, you know, companies do quarterly calls, like, to, you know, explain their finances. Like, at this point, I'm doing, like, quarterly check-ins with you to see like how you're doing, like how, how, where's, where, how it's you like a the therapy game? check in, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, um, you know, now you're, you've gone through a couple projects now at the studio going from, you know, not making games, level designer, director on DLC, director on a game project, conceiving of that project, like an original idea. Like you've kind of gone through a lot of the iterations. A lot of folks go through over career over what really feels like a compressed period of time, um, uh, compared to a lot of other developers I talked to, maybe this is slightly existential, but like, as you are th- moving into that phase where you're inevitably moving on to something else, DLC on Haifa Rush is wound down and, you know, there are other games to, in theory, be made. Do you feel more confident or is that postpartum just the inevitable feeling of, oh God, I have to climb the mountain all over again like is where do you kind of sit personally as you're looking towards whatever the big thing is to climb next uh it's definitely i think both of those right um because you know how hard it is to make a game you know how intense the process is you know how long it takes um and i am unfortunately one of those people uh doesn't matter what it is it's like the you know the blank canvas is like the scariest thing um so Whatever the next project is, if it's big or small, it's always you're looking at it in with always the rearview mirror of like the projects you've worked on in the past. Cause you you never want you want to work on something that it's gonna take a long chunk of and a a, a lot a large part of your sort of consciousness to to make something, uh, to be creative about something. So you wanna be passionate about it and you wanna be able to find that passion. And um, you want it also to be the best thing you do because, you know, you want, you know, I think I forget who, which developer said it, but it's like, you're only good as your like most recent game. Like you can't just like trail off. Like we made that great game <laughs> 17 years ago or something like that. Um, so you always want to think like, how can we do whatever we did better? And when you, f- we felt so proud um, about uh, what we did with Hi-Fi Rush. So it's, it's, that's itself is like a monumental challenge for us, even though we feel like we can take on a challenge, the idea of, um, well, whatever we do, we want it to be better than that. Um, and, and that's, that's daunting and exciting at the same time. Um, and I don't think there's like, I don't know if I've met a a developer who's just sort of like, obviously they're invigorated for like future projects and things like that, but I don't think anyone is is sort of like, oh yeah, this one's going to be a piece of cake. You know, (laughs) they're always like, (laughs) they're always like, I have this great idea. Oh my God, but how, how the hell are we going to pull it off? It's there's something like that. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's, it's somewhere in the middle. You're kind of like fighting both, both sides when you're thinking about the future. You know, we're, uh, talking, uh, for for you, I think it's in the morning, right? Um, for yeah, for, for yeah, me yeah. in the in the evening, but the still the same. Uh, the day that the the game award nominations were announced, which congratulations, Hi Fi Rush was. Uh, it was very funny. I was like, I'm pretty. I'm sure it was nominated for some, and so I was looking. I was looking it up, and like on the website, it's got a little uh, like search bar, and so I just typed in Rush, and I was like, wow, best esports athlete. I don't know how that. How does <laughs> yeah. how does the game line up? 
there and uh, it does not but you you know <laughs> that you were nominated for uh, a best art direction best score in music best audio design innovation and accessibility best action game that covers a lot of different sort of categories of thinking about the game is there you know we don't know exactly how all the you know awards are going to go and what you win or what won't win but even just being in those categories like is there one that you're especially proud of to be associated with uh, that kind of stands out across like the parts of the game that mean the most to you and then to be recognized like ends up kind of hitting a certain certain note for you? Um, I don't know if one stands out more than the other because they're all really exciting um, categories to be in. Like the fact that, you know, it, to many people, it may be the most minor category, but like the innovation and accessibility um is something that, you know, we actually approach from like two angles, like there's, you know, the direct accessibility thing, things like uh, things in the menu that you can control, um, you know, whether it's like subtitles or a way to play with only one button. Um, but we also, you know, design the game about it being accessible for people who aren't good with rhythm games. And now I don't know if that was the factor in, in that, but like, for example, like when we saw, when I saw that nomination come through, I was like, extremely happy to see that you know all it takes a lot of effort to do that and there's so much work that can be still be done with it but having more people be able to enjoy your game um is is just one of the best experiences possible you the worst thing to see is somebody who who couldn't play a game because of something the design or 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 there wasn't a feature involved and unfortunately we still see, see that so like i said there's still work to be done but that was um that was especially rewarding um, but everything else, like obviously, you know, the game was built around audio. So getting, um, recognition for that, uh, in both the sound and music and the sort of audio design, which was integral to the game. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's absolutely amazing. Um, and the team worked so hard to, to, to make the, the, that the look of the game feel match the feel of the game um so the art design um was incredibly will i no doubt when i go to work today will be um incredibly well received by the art team because they spent so much design sign work spending designing everything uniquely for this game um and then to for it to be seen as like an action game that could that's standing alongside these excellent titles um is also just Amazing. I could see it, it, maybe people relegated to be like, it's a rhythm game, so it doesn't count as an action game or something like that. But mm-hmm. people um, associated with that category and um, and that's how we approach it too. It's a, it's more of an action game than a rhythm game and to see it nominated there is fantastic as well. Um, it was kind of, someone sent me a text and joking, they're like, it's, it was nominated in all the categories um, that you would think like it would, they're all like directional things. And it's like, why was it nominated for best direction? Best <laughs> direction, stuff like that. And I was like, yeah, I guess you could think of that's kind of funny. It's a weird thing, but yeah, I can't really dwell over stuff like that. But I mean, um, that's the, I, I mean, the arbitrary nature of game categories has. Oh haunted yeah, absolutely. Games. Yeah. I mean, there is no worse. Like game genres are terrible. They're just oh, yeah. awful. Like they make, don't make any sense. They don't describe like I feel like we're still in a using categories from the eighties to describe games in 2023. And it's like, what's an action adventure game? Like what's an RPG? I, you know I mean? Like stuff like that, I think just makes it so difficult to parse and really just, I think it's part of what makes it difficult for award season for games in general is like 
how do you accurately describe buckets of games so you can so you can sort of recognize them appropriately, especially as I mean, like so many games have RPG elements at this point, like what ex- exactly defines role playing and yeah. things like that. Yeah. So I think that's where your game falls, you know, an interesting space by like, yeah, I think maybe at the heyday of like the rhythm games, like, you know, the frequency, the amplitude, like the height of harmonics is like maybe there'd be a chance to be lumped more in with music stuff because it was kind of more of a genre at that point where these days part of the reason your game stands out is because they don't really make that many music games yeah, the genre <laughs> anymore. Like blurred. So um, the action part stands out yeah. even more because the the music part really like, doesn't exist as much in, in games, uh, much to my own personal dismay. Yeah. I mean, I saw people saying the same thing, like, of well, Final Fantasy 16s. It's more of an action game now than a than an RPG. Example, <laughs> right. or like that. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, it's very arbitrary, but it also kind of reminds me of um, I'm trying to remember. Is it like the is it the Golden Globes or something like that? Um, that anything that wasn't like a hard drama was was automatically submitted as like a musical or comedy. Yeah. So yeah. I think it was something like Matt Damon won for The Martian, and it's like best <laughs> musical or comedy or something like that. And he was like. <laughs> Thank you, I guess, you know, something like that. Um, yeah, so, yeah, you know, genres are, are so are so bizarre. And especially when you're making something that we felt, felt was, you know, we actually had to, like, convince our team itself, like, what what genre is this game? You know, it's kind of funny to see that that pop in. But, um, you know, we, we wouldn't, like, we're not, I don't think we're dwelling on anything that we didn't get nominated for. I think we're ex- incredibly excited to to be nominated in five separate categories. That's unbelievable. Um, for a studio that's realistically never been pretty much nominated for anything. And mm-hmm. it, I joked about this when we um, we did, we were lucky enough to win an award uh, earlier in the year in um, the, in Brighton, um, the, the develop conference for like best original IP. And one thing I said is like, we're, you know, we're not a studio that gets nominated for things, let alone win anything. Like, so it's extremely <laughs> bizarre. Um, well, you went you know, outside we the get, ho- you went outside yeah. the horror box, right? Like that's I'm a huge horror buff, and like I am always. It's just not a genre that usually gets recognized. You know, you get your Resident Evils, like some games sort of manage to, but even Resident Evil is more of an action game than a horror game as a as a franchise at, at this point, and so that kind of allows it to stand out and have a little more mass appeal in a way that certainly the Evil Within one and two is like pretty squarely aimed at like big horror and there's action elements, but like if you're balancing the genres and like audience interests, like I'm not shocked. Part of that is just down to, you know, things that are scary tend to uh, attract some, some smaller audiences and also just don't seem to do, do very well in a war season, which is why, you know, when you have like the heredity uh, hereditaries and stuff of the world, you have to come up with the, uh, you know, elevated horror as a as a term to make people comfortable with yeah. giving them you know, the same way with yeah like the academy awards like 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 has a horror movie ever been nominated for best picture or i think like the shining it's, it's very rare snubbed. like yeah. it's yeah it, like it really just doesn't just doesn't happen um uh yeah so yeah i mean, I, I wouldn't i personally would think that you know our evil well i'm incredibly proud of the work we did on the evil within games you know i think they're to push it up to say like, oh, they should have been nominated for game of the year or something like that. Maybe it's a little bit of a stretch. I think there was a lot of, for us as a studio, there was a lot of, you know, work that we need to grow to make uh, uh, something that was um, a, a caliber as high as that. Um, but, you know, it's interesting to see, I you know, it's not just, I think Resident Evil 4 got nominated, but, you know, Alan Wake 2 as well. Mm-hmm. So there's two, you know, 
uh, horror, survival horror, horror-themed games nominated for Game of the Year, which is, you know, incredible. Um, and so I like to think it's, you know, it just depends on... I, I like to believe that the genre doesn't matter, that it, it just matters if it's a good game. <laughs> yeah, no, I, that is a, that is a, uh, agreed. Um, do you, when, you know, you worked on Evil Within 1 and 2, but one thing I, I, maybe I haven't read it somewhere, but uh, like, is horror a genre you particularly have an affinity for, or did you just find yourself making like horror games for a, a large section of your life? Or, like, what was your relationship to, the genre, whether in games or in, in movies, when you actually find yourself like, you know, building out, you know, a, a, a level in the original evil within. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I grew up playing horror games and I actually, I, I, this is going to sound weird when I say past tense, but I loved them in talking about before going into game design. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously played, you know, the original resident evil, the first silent hill, like literally I couldn't sleep at night after playing it. <laughs> I kind of was just jumping around, um, playing that as just like a genre. Um, and, uh, when you started making it, you know, it's not that I did it almost by choice. It wasn't, you know, kind of when I joined the studio, that wasn't our first project we were working on of it. We eventually sort of fell into working on, um, what became the evil within as our first project. Uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't something I was uninterested in. I was I'm continuously watching horror movies. The, and so I was learning, I was kind of, what, what it forced me to do is kind of like reflect on, you know, all those growing up and loving those games, like what worked for me and what didn't, why did, why was I scared about that? You know? Um, and yeah, and you kind of had to, um, analyze that and put it together. And there were pros and cons to that. One thing was it really gave me a respect on, you know, how they're, how, how well crafted they are in order to pull off that atmosphere. Um, and, but the bad part is that by, I guess overanalyzing it, I become like almost completely like, what is it like numb or desensitized to like <laughs> horror in general. And it's almost a little bit upsetting, like, like, uh, you know, watching, um, horror movies now, like I legitimately don't get scared on anything. And even when they hype up something is like, this is the scariest movie. Like we just, you just brought up hereditary. And I was right. like, I remember when they, when they were hyping that up to like, this is the scare, like this is legitimately the scariest movie you will probably see in the longest time. And I watched it and I can tell this is a scary movie, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm but watching kind it with of like a, a straight face. It, and right. Yeah. yeah and like, I'm just looking, I'm like, I'm like, this is probably going to happen. This is probably happened. This is a great atmosphere. But I'm just not personally scared by it anymore, and I'm okay. Wait, like wait, wait. Okay. Did you watch Nope? Did you see Jordan Peele's Nope? Yeah, I saw Nope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So the sequence, it, yeah. the sequence where oh, I forget what do they call the the creature in that? Um, um, oh, I'm blanking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. G- you know G- yes, yes, yes. <laughs> like the, I'm getting like goosebumps thinking about it now. The sequence where like it sucks them up, and like you can hear them essentially being kind of. Eaten, like digested digested yeah. like oh my uh, ugh, like <laughs> that does nothing for you even that is just i no, wonder how they I built was, the I tunnel like, <laughs> yeah but that was that was specifically a scene where i was like oh man this is like really scared like i'm not not scared, I'm not, not scared. but like in the same way that that shot i think it's like when he's like in the car and it's mm-hmm. it's, it's you know it's when it's like it's like this with the raining blood on the house you know it's like hovering over the house and oh just my like God. a lightning flash you can see it over there and I was just like, oh, shit. Like, you know, I was, I could, I could feel it, but it just didn't hit me. And, um, 
and that's it that's why it's like it's it's like i still love the genre it's just i wish i can i could wish i could go back and like and and, and learn it again like okay so i just finished playing through alan wake 2 mm-hmm. which is fantastic and i could tell like compared to other games that i played previously this is like one of the the atmosphere and th- and things in this game it's one of the scariest things i've played in a long time <laughs> but i was not particularly scared by it like <laughs> so that was the problem i'm like i'm playing through and i'm like i'm like i wish i played this during a time like when i before like got into making horror games cuz i would love this game like a thousand times more not that i didn't like it but like i would be almost like it would the whole sequence of playing is alan and his like dream sequences and stuff like that um i would almost be crippled like being unable to like move. Um, but, but instead I'm kind of like in, enjoying it. It's just like a game, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, so not, the, not bizarre, the worst place to end up. Um, well, I know uh, we have to let you go. So I feel like I'll just do the same thing I did last time, which is I feel like you've given me an excellent pivot point, which is that when you pl- when you watch a horror movie that actually manages to scare you or you play a horror game and you're like, Oh no, I'm actually scared. I don't, I don't know how to feel right now. Well then, not then. PR needs to send me an email, and like we'll we'll get on and we'll and we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll, we'll, and we'll digest it. Yeah, we'll, yeah, that'll we'll be much that like uh, the you know the creature in Nope. We'll digest that and we'll we'll work through it. So, um, John, thanks so much for your time. Congrats on the awards. Good luck on potentially winning. Um, and really looking forward to seeing either whatever you have next or whatever arbitrary reason uh, we come up with to have you uh, come back through the podcast again. But we, we always appreciate it. Yeah. I love, I love chatting. Um, Yes. It's always great to be on this podcast um, and hopefully be on sometime soon. (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks, John. One of the most normal morning routines is a bowl, some milk, some cereal. What (laughs) changes as you get older is you might want to modify what you're putting into that bowl with the milk. If you suddenly want to cut back on sugar, you want to add more protein, you're thinking about fitness goals, but you don't want to give up the deliciousness of what you're putting in that bowl, you might want to think about Magic Spoon. Uh, Because with Magic Spoon, you get all those flavors you love, high protein, less sugar, and as someone with kids, the idea that I can show them that these cereals can have all of these things and you can think about what's in your body every morning seems really good. Magic Spoon comes in a variety pack of four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. This pack has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs. Only 140 calories a serving, it's high protein, has zero grams of sugar, keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, and soy free. And look, you put peanut butter in anything, I'm there, which is why that's my favorite one and I'm hiding it from my children. You can go to magicspoon.com slash remap to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code remap at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember, start the new year off right with a delicious bowl of high-protein cereal at magicspoon.com slash remap and use the code REMAP to save $5 off. Thanks to Magic Spoon for sponsoring this episode. Hey, REMAP Radio listeners. Rob here. You know, the time was I'd come up with a meal plan for the entire week, and then I'd trawl through the grocery stores making sure I had everything I needed right on budget to make those home-cooked meals. Unfortunately, times have changed, and speaking of time, I don't have quite as much of it as I used to. 
you know, there's a podcast empire to be overseen. But I can't just order fast food and pizza delivery every night. My budget and, unfortunately, my increasingly delicate stomach won't allow it. Fortunately, for folks in the same boat as me, there's Factor. Factor gives you 35 options each week to make meal planning easy. And not just for dinner. They have breakfast foods and snacks covered as well. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. But it's just as convenient delivering the food you need right to your door. And now, if you head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off, that's right, That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. And now you can head to factormeals.com slash remap50 and use code remap50 to get 50% off. That's code remap50 at factormeals.com slash remap50 to get 50% off. Uh, hey everyone, I am so excited uh, after uh, you've listened to Remap Radio last week, you heard uh, Renata Price and myself talk uh, endlessly about how excited and delighted we were to play Blasphemous 2. Uh, Blasphemous was a game that I was a uh, just kind of stumbled into a couple years back, became one of my favorite games of the last decade. Just astounding art, just astounding gameplay, just a really uh, incredible work, um, and was delighted to be able to write about that game uh, back when I worked uh, at Waypoint over at Vice, and now I'm delighted to be in a microphone, and with the release of Blasphemous 2 imminent, uh, I am able to invite two of the folks that worked on that game on to Remap Radio. Uh, folks, could you could you introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm Enrique Cabeza, art director and creative director. And I'm David De Rosa. I'm the producer for Blasphemous 2. Uh, I have to. I had a whole place I wanted to start about the Spanish VO and how important it was to get that into the original game and how it's there in the new game. But I'm distracted by this arcade cabinet. That is behind you, <laughs> and I have to ask, what's go what's going on? It looks in it looks in a little rough shape. I'm a little I'm a little nervous about this arcade cabinet. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Well, this was uh, a pro a project of my wife and me when she was pregnant with our daughter, <laughs> uh, um, but we never uh, finished <laughs> it properly. So it's like a huge. All the style. It's just there to remind you constantly, like in every meeting that you're doing, and just you just have this this lurking. Uh, what was it supposed? What was it supposed to be? What was you know? If if you had found the time, what was the the arcade supposed to turn into? Uh, well, it, it would have a, a proper computer in, inside <laughs> with a proper uh, monitor. Indeed, this was a huge uh, arcade. Cabinet. Uh, mm -hmm. We made it for a for a CRT monitor or TV, not mm -hmm. monitor, which mm -hmm. was huge and weighed a lot of kilograms. And um, because it, yeah, well, we don't really think we will ever finish it. Uh, I <laughs> <laughs> I made it uh, lighter uh, and more short, so it can fit a uh, a modern a modern flat uh, monitor right, right now. Right. I can finish it for you, David. 
I'm sure you. I'm alone. I don't have a wife. I can do it. No kids. No wife. Like you just you got to bring in a contractor here to come finish this this technology project for you. <laughs> um. But but uh, more seriously, you know, one of the, the pieces I wrote about Blasphemous um, a couple years back was um, I played the game, really enjoyed it. And then I had seen on Reddit the fact that the game was getting, you know, Spanish VO uh, brought into the game later after launch and was and and I wrote this whole piece about, you know, about the, the game's architecture and art design and and script and how much that was like seeped in um, your own culture and how much it felt like the English VO is as good as it was, you know. Like it didn't feel complete without having the Spanish VO. And so when I got access to Blasphemous 2, my thought was, well, the first thing I'm going to look and see is, can I, can I, can I change, can I change uh, the voices? And I was delighted to see that it was there from launch. And so I, I don't know, I kind of wanted to start there because that was like one of those uh, kind of closing acts on the first game to, to sort of make it complete. How important was it for this sequel to have something like that? As small as it may seem in the grand scheme of making a video game, to have like the Spanish language option from the start. Yeah, I think it's very important because the uh, yeah, as you said, the the game is based on our own culture. So you know the uh, the writing was made in Spanish, and the writing is uh, influenced by old Spanish writers and poems and literature in general. So yeah, the more accurate thing is is to to play the game in Spanish because you know when you translate it, uh, there is there are something uh, some things that are going to be missed. Uh, so yeah, the Spanish voice acting fit uh, incredibly well with the with the tone of the game. But yeah, we we also think that the game should be also in English for accessibility and, and yeah, everybody, everybody to enjoy it. But the, the real deal, <laughs> it would be <laughs> Spanish, yeah. Also for the first game, there was this um, issue with budget, and these restrictions with time and budget, which didn't allow for, for a proper uh, Spanish voiceover. But for the sequel, uh, we are lucky enough not to have those kinds of, of restrictions. So um, that was one of the things that we knew for sure that we wanted to have a uh, Spanish voiceover day one. Yeah, I'm, in I'm, fact, I think, oh, I'm sorry. In fact, I, I think that we recorded this before the English version, right, Enrique? Yeah. That, so that's, that's when you know it's a priority. When, also, it's really useful for for the English voiceover actors and act actresses to have uh, the original version in Spanish as a reference for the tone yeah. and the intention of the text. It's not the same trying to communicate it um, speaking. It's not the same uh, me telling you hey, you have to sound like you are suffering because <laughs> this and that. Yes, as, as director, but, it's easier yeah. to. To, to provide something. an example, mm -hmm. yet yeah, uh, to explain something to the Spanish actor or actress, and then the English one can have that reference. It's way easier for us to to conduct <laughs> the, the voice acting process. 
because it kind of gives them a sense of like the the weight and cadence of 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 the language. Like, oh, that's interesting because you were able to reverse that this time around because you actually had <laughs> had that in the bank to to start. Was that just a like kind of uh, accidental or happenstance that like we recorded it first? So, oh, this is like really useful that we can have this for the English VO, or was it? Hey, this is important to us that we record this first so that for the English voice actors they'll have this as a reference point. Well, th- this is kind of a mix. Um, of course, uh, as Enrique said, all the writing, all the lore, the dialogues, the descriptions are written in Spanish. So that that means that well, we need to have this translated, uh, localized. Yeah. Before okay. recording the English voiceover, so. Uh, taking this into account, it makes more sense to start with Spanish. Uh, at the same time, this gives us the advantage of having this for the English uh, sessions. Yeah, uh, uh, d- double check the translation and yes, uh, yeah. mm. triple check. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, d- I definitely remember in the conversation um, that I had about the. Um, uh, adding the Spanish VO to the original Blasphemous was this this budget constraint. And it seems like that hung over the project quite a bit in a number of different ways as you were getting towards the finish line. And I'm getting the impression here that with the sequel, well, it, money concerns never truly go away, that it, it maybe didn't feel like it was hanging over the project in the same way. And I'm wondering, just from a like a design perspective from a like em- employee health perspective like what was it like for this time to be like hey the game was a success let's just go make the game and not be stressing so much over like um are, are we going to keep the lights on at the end of the project yeah and put the I think that's the... Some, somewhere somewhere else <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly that's what i was going to say this uh this stress never goes so What's it can go into the game that, instead, maybe. Yeah, as opposed exactly. To, yes, exactly. <laughs> it, it shifts, shifts focus. So instead of being worried about money, um, will the game be successful? Will people like it? Um, what do we do if this is not a, a good game or, or people don't like it? Now the focus of, of our worriness is will people uh, consider this uh, a good sequel? Will this be up to the expectations of all the players? Um, so yeah, the 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 stress is we are never stress free. <laughs> it's Ever. just that it changes. <laughs> so the, to to that point, um, what is a good sequel then? Because I imagine that is different, um, possibly different between what players want from a sequel and what as creatives you want to accomplish with a sequel. And then th- the tension is finding, <laughs> finding a happy marriage between the two of those. So I'm, I- I'm, I'm really interested to like, what was some of the, as you sat down and realized, Hey, we are, it looks, we're going to do a sequel to this. Like, how did you find that navigate that tension between player expectations of this is what they're going to want from a blasphemous two. And then, but this is what I want to do with blasphemous two. <laughs> This very very tricky tricky thing. Uh, it's very hard to to make to actually think about a sequel. You have to really know uh, what worked uh, in the f- first game and say what can I add to this. What can I change without uh, making the players angry? <laughs> uh, of course, uh, how much budget do we have? 
Um, and yeah, well, it was very difficult to the 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 creative process to find out what we what we wanted to do was not a a, a quick process. It was a take very long as we started to make the new engine and started to develop the new mechanics and stuff. Uh, the game is kind of the game itself tells you what is not the next step. So it was a very slow cooking process to for ourselves to really know what is a good sequel. Was oh, go ahead. Well, I was I was only adding that uh, we were really aware of not only what players liked but also what they didn't like. Yeah. Uh, we knew that we had to put a lot of effort into making a um, very good feeling uh, character. I mean, grabbing the controller, um, feeling that, hey, this this control really, really, uh, sorry, this control is really, really nice. I don't feel that any mistake I make is the game's fault, but my own, uh, which is something that uh, we know that with the base uh, version of Blasphemous. Um, was something really uh, important for saying it <laughs> this way for players. Uh, this was improved a lot with the DLCs, mm-hmm. the first DLC. Uh, but we knew that we couldn't make the same kind of, um, I'm going to say mistake, but to mm-hmm. have this issue with the control of the, of the character. Uh, that's one of the reasons for us to start the project from scratch. Um, not to reuse uh, any, anything that we already had, which we knew we knew was not really valid for a few of the things that we wanted to have in the sequel, like the three weapons or the two different kind of uh, prayers, the quick versus and on the slow one. Sorry for the mm-hmm. the correct name right now. Uh, so yeah, we 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 tried to focus on, on those things that players were more uh, critic about. Was, you know, you, you mentioned uh, trying to identify kind of like what the red lines are for players where it's like, this is probably something we shouldn't mess with. But I have to imagine as creatives, there's going to be the temptation to want to mess with it. Um, and so I wonder, like, can you point to anything that like prompted a conversation but like, I think, I think maybe this is something we want to play with and, and, and modify how it works in the sequel. And then maybe you step back from, or alternatively, is there something that you decided, Hey, maybe this is going to upset some players because it's going to be different, but we think they're going to like the change that we've made. And we're going to choose to be confident about that. Mm. Instead of with the spikes, that was more <laughs> a complaint. So, <laughs> so that's one of the first, first things that were changed with the design of the game um because they, they were instant in the in the first one right yeah and I, I i chuckled when i fell in uh some spikes expecting to completely die and go back to a checkpoint and i had enough health to survive it and then i got an achievement for for surviving it i, I, thought, I thought that was that like knowing this now as you reminded me i was like that, that feels like the developers sort of like coming full circle on this complaint is to give players an achievement for surviving the spikes <laughs> yeah absolutely uh, 
nothing comes to my mind right now about something that we, let's say, um, try to to enforce. I mean, it's, it sounds like you you, you viewed the sequel um, rather than broadly change it too much, but like to be a, a real refinement of what was already in the first game. And, you know, your, your mention of a uh, player is observing uh, maybe some of the timing feeling a little off. It seems like, you know, the nature of the mechanics in Blasphemous 2 in which you really expand on like the parry feature is essentially you telling yourselves, well, we better not screw this up because we're putting in parry as like a really central mechanic for like several weapons. And if that like, you know, a parry has to feel in fact, nice, nice, in, yeah. in fact, we put a lot of effort into the feeling of the, the, the parry uh, reaction mm -hmm. of the Penitent One because we played Last Famous One and we felt, oh, this is not feeling exactly uh, or, or, or even better than the one in Blasphemous. <laughs> uh, let's improve it. Why is not working the same? Why I, what's the reason for me not to feel the same? when I parry this enemy. Uh, it took a lot. These are those kind of things that uh, might seem simple or not important or that it's not time consuming in development uh, time, but it's a lot of work and effort trying to fine tune something like a parry uh, for it to feel really nice. Yeah, we, we think we learned a lot from the first game. Like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's not that just that it it you know the first time you know you you successfully parry. Uh, it's not that it just feels good, but um, like it's one of those things where it's the design and the mechanics and also the art working in concert with one another. Like the way it like looks for the character to block and like it he he looks really powerful and like that that works in concert with what it feels like to press the button and so. From an from an art perspective, like when you're working with the design to like 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 the parry, for example, where you're trying to not just it's your finger communicate it's your finger communicating with the art, and so I imagine you're then deeply involved in pulling off what sh players are only going to complain if it doesn't work. Otherwise, it's just going to feel natural. So, what from an art perspective, like what was kind of your relationship figuring out like these fine details on making like something like that work? It's very tricky <laughs> technical uh, question, and yeah, the have to so blending of very technical things and um, go back and forth and play it over and over. Uh, talk to the animator, change, change the animation, start again, um, discovering what is missing or what. Um, we have to re uh, get rid of and improve it over and over. And we have a, a programmer that is focused on that all the time. <laughs> uh, hopefully, we have that uh, member of the, of the team that have the, the time and the, the, the will to, to make this to work. So you had someone explicitly focused on the parry? Like as like the, the, not the parry in the, in the, in the, the feel in the I see, responsiveness. I, see, I, see. I was like, wow, that's a real commitment. Is like we have hired someone. You're you're gonna spend the next couple of years making sure this parry feels good in the game. And and it's something like that. You know, 
you know, you know, the, is the, like the kind of like the, the saying goes like, you know, art is never finished. It's just kind of, you know, you just sort of abandon it and move on. Like with something like a Perry, where I imagine it's something you could obsess over forever. Is, is that something that you st- are still thinking about looking at like, or, um, or is that something that was sort of settled? Hey, halfway to development, we just need to, it's good. It's good. Walk away. Be, feel like it's good. Or is that, is that the kind of thing that when you go to bed, it still it still haunts you before the re- before the reviews come out and all the players get it. I think we lost our own criteria. <laughs> uh, I think we we don't know uh, if we can improve it. Maybe in time, <laughs> if we um, stop playing the game and play it in a few months, yeah. we find something to to improve. Uh, for for now, I think that it's pretty good. Uh, maybe as Enrique said, uh, we let it sit there for a couple of months or or maybe next week when when players start uh, playing the game maybe they see maybe the they say also something about the party that, that we couldn't see because uh, we have been playing the game for three years we've had the game <laughs> the monitor three every, years and every you day lose, you, every you, lose, you lose perspective for some things um, I don't think we did uh, I don't think we lost perspective with the. Well, I think the parry is good. I think it feels very good. So I, I'm not everybody. I'm not everybody on Steam. I can't help you there. But I can tell you in the you know five or six hours that I've played that I I, I think it feels great, frankly. So. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, the you know obviously one of the the the, the original game and the sequel have you know a lot of uh, standout uh, aspects to it. But I you know you can't look at the game and not be struck by. The art like it's a really key part of um, I think what makes it stand out from a lot of other games that, uh, you know, like are operating, you know, mechanically similar or structurally similar. Um, you know, I'm familiar with, you know, how some of the art direction was settled in the first game by like just looking around at the world around you and pulling from traditional uh, Spanish architecture and culture. But for the sequel, w- like where where did you start to look to? Is it, did you dig deeper? Like, how do you start to figure, what are we, what are we pulling from where we're keeping what was interesting about the first game while also trying to find new influences and directions to go in? It was deeper and wider. Yeah, um, because there was a lot of things to, <laughs> to check. <laughs> yeah, we, um, also, we couldn't put everything we got on for the first game, on mm-hmm. the first game. So we have a, a lot of stuff in the, in the, how do you say, in the repository, in the, <laughs> the, back, the backlog, in the back, in the <laughs> like a, lo- a lot of stuff. I, we continue the same process, uh, opening the the possibilities mm-hmm. way more. Uh, and yeah, we continue to do this, this thing. So we, we have influence from theater plays, novels, poetry, <laughs> More music, more architecture. And what is some of that research process like? Is it going to the library? Is it just browsing the internet? Like practically, how are you like seeking out these resources to to, to pull from? Uh, many different things. For example, I have a lot of books mm-hmm. of uh, legends. For example, I have other books in the office or in my house of architecture. So, or I yes, uh, a movie. How you say movie mm-hmm. fanatic? or something <laughs> so i i always reading things and watching movies 
old Spanish movies, reading poetry, reading everything I I've had, uh, I have got. I also check on the internet everything I um, I can imagine <laughs> in Pinterest, some paintings. <laughs> uh, go to the museums. Everything you can you can imagine. The the, the process was very um, how you say intense in this sense. <laughs> Is there, um, you, know, you said you're uh, a movie fanatic. Is there something you can point to in the game that, like, you you specifically like pulled as an inspiration from a film that either meant a lot to you or you, or you found interesting? Like, is there anything that's like a direct line from a film to being inspired and and in the sequel? Mm, yeah, I was uh, I watched a movie that is based on a theater play, and um, it was an old Spanish movie, so I just watch it like any other movie and it it got this idea of a character uh, directly in the game for some reason mm-hmm. and i started to think about it how can the character fit in the games in the game so i started to to make uh, sketches on my book and think about it for i don't know for several days as i work on other things and when I fall in love with that idea, I I know how to bring this influence in the game. I st- uh, work with the with our concept artist, and we start to to make more more uh, sketches and and concept art. And yeah, this is the process. You you find you are how you say it's like a like a thunder that mm-hmm. hits you. It's an idea. Very rough idea, very uh, not uh, specific. Mm-hmm. How you say that? Maybe uh, maybe abstract or something mm-hmm. like that. But somehow I fall in love with that. I know that there is something there. You know, mm-hmm. it's something I have to to look for. Maybe it's, it's a feeling. You know, there is something there. You have to to work to to get there. Um, some of them didn't don't make it. Some of them uh, make make it. So yeah, this is a process of non-stop looking for ideas and and working to to, to see if if they fit in the game. Sorry for my my English no. speaking about this uh, complicated stuff. No, you're fine. No, I, yeah, I, I completely uh, let, understand. Let me share. Let, let me share an image with you mm-hmm. here in, in, on the chat. Um, maybe you will recognize because if you have played, uh, how many hours did you say? Five, six? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm about to uh, fight like the, the, the second boss, like with the kind of like spidery uh, uh, iconography in the in the castle. Yeah, yes, this, this one. This one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For example, mm-hmm. I don't this know woman you... in a village hanging with a, a, with a little kid in her arms, and I start to to think to get like uh, obsessed about it, <laughs> so I cannot mm, think about something else. It's a really good example of how Enrique takes some reference from. Where, where did you paste this, Enrique? In the. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Oh, gotcha. There we go. Okay. Oh, and so this is the this is the direct line between this photograph and. The art that appears in the game. Wow, that's incredible. That's very cool. Yes, I have. Fa- I have found this in the game. Um, so uh, I definitely know what you're referencing. 
that's amazing because you never really see, you know, your original inspiration point. But I, obviously, it's a m- much more upsetting version in the in the game. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, you you never it's know where the uh, where the inspiration can come from. So you have to be open mm-hmm. for everything. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. it's something you see in the streets or in a church or in the movie. Or re- just reading, or just have have a, a nightmare about, <laughs> or, or, or just having, or just oh, having a casual conversation in the office, in which we start wondering about mm, some NPCs, and someone says, "What if?" And then that crazy idea turns into something really cool. Given that you're pulling so much inf- inspiration from things around you, I imagine uh, sometimes that's not always happening, like in the office. So, are you just constantly like s- s- sketching, taking note? Like, are you just walking around with a notepad and then like come into the office and like, uh, uh, I had six nightmares last night, and like here's ten ideas I have for things to put in the game. Like, is that is is that that part of your your process where you're just having to bring all this stuff back from your experiences in the real world um, before you get into the office to kind of practically start making the game i yeah i have several several notebooks in my <laughs> in my house but uh, yeah i l- let me say when i got uh how you say hit by this idea mm-hmm. like a thunder <laughs> mm, i get my, my my mind like uh, absent for a while i i start to work immediately i start to ignore everybody <laughs> to see like yeah. i am I'm sick. <laughs> like, does everyone know? Like, all right, he's he's in art mode. Just like leave him alone. Like, it's like a note on the door. Like, hopefully they don't get upset. <laughs> but yes, this happened to me uh, all the time. And yeah, I, I have several ways to to write that, those ideas down and, and start to to make sketches. And I go to the office to talk with this concept art, concept artist with a clear direction. Excellent. Well, um, I've really appreciated both of your time. Um, I uh, uh, really loved the first game so far, really loved the second game. And so it seems like the game is set up for success. And I cannot wait to see what um, what disturbing things you have in store <laughs> from your notebooks. In the, I like to imagine that you're like you have multiple notebooks around your house because when the thunder strikes you, you it's just whatever notebook is nearby. Like okay, I, I, it's right there. I don't have time to go to the bedroom to get the other one. Like it's got to be the one in the kitchen today. <laughs> uh, so uh, thank you for for joining us uh, here on the podcast and congrats on the launch of the game. Thank you. Thank man. you very much for having us around. <laughs> <laughs>